Lunch time. Over the weekend, Brisbane was turned green and gold, and we all had a lot of fun with that. But now it's time to bring it back to orange and black with a citizenship test this coming Saturday. Welcome to the latest edition of the Brisbane Football Review here for the DFS Fan Network. It is James, Scott and Adam, and I suppose I've got to ask first and foremost, guys, have you dried out from Saturday night? I was quite dry. Yeah, I was be- sitting, yeah, it wasn't too bad. I think I still have a pair of damp shoes. Adam, how are you? <laughs> no, I'm good. My, uh, my lounge room was very, very dry, so... <laughs> Lucky, lucky. The Western Stand's not too bad when it rains. Yeah, as I mean, it turns out. It's not too bad. I, I actually managed to buy a ticket to the Socceroos career game, is what we're talking about, obviously. Uh, I thought I was clear of the drip zone, and the wind had other ideas. But before we get into it, uh, obviously, we should uh, give a couple of plugs. Email brisbanefootballreview at gmail.com. Facebook is Raw Review. Twitter is at BNE Football. We're still trying to change that Facebook name as well. And. We've got several podcast platforms coming out, and they're Wooshka, iTunes, Radio Public, Stitcher, and TuneIn. You can listen on one or, ideally, multiple ones of those. But for now, let's get into a show, and we've actually got a big... I probably should also tease, coming up later, we've got a bit of a big announcement coming up about uh, our plans. So make sure you stay tuned, and we'll get onto that soon. But right now, let's get into the Socceroos recap. That's where I'm looking at you. For oh, okay, yeah, yeah, absolutely. We should talk about that game, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about that big announcement. Yeah, that's all. We'll, t- we'll talk about that. Uh, mm. We'll talk about uh, the game Saturday night first. The friendly against South Korea or Korea Republic finishes one-one draw after was it Maslowongo? E- yes. Equalised with a very, 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 very late goal that very, 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 very nearly incited a riot when it turns out VAR was being used. <laughs> So I think the corner was awarded with three seconds left of stoppage time. So they were very, very lucky to get that corner of the soccer. And there was probably a foul in the lead up to it anyway, but we'll certainly take it. Well, considering Graham Arnold feels like he was on the wrong end <laughs> of a non-foul call and then a late corner at Suncourt Stadium <laughs> yeah. a few years ago. Wrong end of the ground. It'll be nice to see. I'm sure he's probably thinking it's nice to be on the right end of that, right, Adam? Oh, look, given his reaction that you know, he did the big fist pump at the end of the game when he got the draw, I think he was very, very happy with the result there. That might have actually been his first yes. happy moment at some point yeah. stadium ever. <laughs> but overall, I was actually really encouraged by this game. There was a lot of, I suppose, positive signs without reason to be overly complacent with the team either. No, it was a very good performance from them. They were in control for large parts of this game in terms of possession territory. They clearly worked on a bunch of stuff and it worked really, really well. The only question I have is Moyen Rogic. Yep. I mean, this is the first time I'd seen them live in the stadium playing in the same team, and they tend to get in each other's way. To me, they're just I, look. They're obviously our two best players. I just we have to find a way to utilize them better. It might have to be just going back to the old Pep Guardiola, where Xavi and Iniesta, where Xavi plays on the right, Iniesta on the left, and they don't cross over. Maybe you just say one plays on the right, and one plays on the left, and that's it. Because on Saturday, they tend to get in each other's way a bit too much for me. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I think this is the, the classic problem where you got two. Two our two of our best players playing for one position. Look, I actually think. Um, well, I thought this on Saturday night, and obviously when we get when we get into the recap um, for for last night's game, be, that's sort of been solved. But I was sort of thinking, you know, maybe you know the way forward is because I think Aaron Moy is a better player playing in that number ten role, sort of up front, you know, creating play. Maybe pushing Tom Tom Rogic into the number nine, you know, and play even as a false nine. Um, but yeah, look again. It's it's an issue. I don't know. I don't know if you can go down the path of yeah. You know, it's either pick one or the other. Yeah. I think it, I think our pool is not that deep yeah. where you can say you know what you sacrifice you sacrifice more for yeah. Rogic or vice versa. So it's just that they somehow got to figure out a way to um, incorporate both of them. Well, one thing that really jumped out for me was the fact that. We saw Graham Arnold's new system of playing with essentially three number nines, as he described them, instead of a striker and two wingers, which actually, to me, does lend credence to the idea of playing Tom Rogic as a number nine, even if he does technically start out wide and have to draw in all the time. Because the way that the fullbacks played, like they created the width. And also, I think just 
that central area of the pitch, though, that got so congested with the two wingers cutting in and the two attacking midfielders pushing forward. The other thing with the soccer's midfield depth is Luongo played that really deeper role on Saturday night, and it does he's fine in that role, but it's not his best. He's better when he can get forward as well, and you've got three players who are very, very similar. It's a very diff- It's like, remember with England a decade ago, Lampard, Gerrard and Scholes? Mm. I mean, yeah. two of those are yep. clearly better than the, the other one. I won't get into that, but... One of them had to slip out of contention. Exactly. Absolutely, but... Listen, the problem is they couldn't figure out how to use those players to their maximum advantage, and we're heading down the same path where we're struggling to figure out how to use them because they're, they're if they're not our three best players, they're in our top half a dozen. I'm so still we, have a big to, be- we really have to yeah. find a way to use all three of them. I'm still a big believer in Tom Rogish and feel like he is one of the most talented yeah. like players going around for Australia at the moment. Like I, I've even gone as far as to say he probably could, with that level of talent, be playing for a top level club over in Europe. Not that Celtic mm-hmm. aren't, but. Need oh. to see it more regularly from Rogic. So there's a lot of tricks and flicks to his play, but there's not a lot of substance at the end of it. That's my one small critique well, of Rogic. Two th- two points on Rogic. One, I said this during the World Cup, and I'm going back to it. I'm still waiting for him to just decide that with that level of talent, screw it. I'm taking over the game. We're not losing it. Having one of those sort of moments, I I call them the Robin Van Persie moments when, like, there were times when he was at Arsenal in that one season he was actually healthy. Remember when he won the league? No, I don't. <laughs> But like I just remember that season where he went several times, screw it, we're not losing this game, I'm going to go and do something about it. And I want to see Tom Rogic do that for Australia, and he hasn't done it yet, so I'm wondering if, until he produces something like that, would, we, would he be better served coming off the bench in, say, the 60th minute as a super sub? Yeah, look, that's maybe that's part of the plans. I, look, I agree that you know, Tom, Tom Rogic, you know, he has that X-factor about him, and that's, and that's what this national team needs is is that X factor about. But yeah, like I said, I think we're all waiting for him to to produce that, that one game. Look, well, let's hope it's in the future. Maybe, you know, you know at the you know, the Asian Cup, you know, the, the light will you know, finally spark on and, you know, take control of that game, you know, be be the man as, as it were. And, you know, but at the moment, I just think, yeah, I just don't think he knows what his role is in that side. I think that's really the key point because you mentioned you want Rogic to really take over the game. I think, Aaron Moy has the exact same thought when he's out on the field. He tried to do that on Saturday night, and again, we'll get to the Lebanon game as well. He tried to do it in that game as well. So I think they're both, they both might want to do that, but only, I think only one can do it at the same time. The other one has to facilitate that. And I kind of feel like going forward, I, get, I love the attacking approach that I saw on Saturday night where they went, no, we're just going to yeah. go and try and dominate teams, on, be on the front foot as much as we can. Yeah. Like, How many times did we see... There were, what, seven Socceroos all right up yeah. in the attacking box and just Sainsbury and Mark Milligan were playing back on halfway. It was certainly nice to see a Socceroos team active with some attacking intent for the first time in a year. Yeah. After the previous manager had absolutely no belief in Australia's attacking qualities, as you saw at the World Cup. But it was great to see Graham Arnold. We always knew he would go back to an attacking style as well, but it was good to see. And they, you're right, they had a lot of players push, but I thought the fullbacks were superb, particularly yeah. Risden. Risden was yeah. un- un- unbelievable. Risden and Bage both. Yeah. And, and I feel like, sorry, Risen's probably really now established himself in that back four. There was probably question marks over his place going forward, but he's really established himself now. He absolutely. was very impressive. And I feel like he's probably putting himself on the radar of a move to a bigger league than yeah. the A-League with the way that he's playing. Like, he showcased himself very, very well in Russia and I would say a good Asian Cup. And yeah. Was he nice. linked with a move to Netherlands in the off-season? He probably remember. was. Yeah, I think he might have been. Wasn't everybody when uh, Mark Van Bommel <laughs> left? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but the way I look at it with... With the Socceroos, that approach is going to serve them very well, I hope, when they're facing teams that just decide to sit all 11 players behind the ball, and you don't really have to worry too much about a counter-attack, but that, that sort of vulnerability against a side with the quality of South Korea, who admittedly were a touch under strength, but still found the way to cause trouble on the counter-attack. Well, I was going to say, my only concern, so if, you, if it's sort of looking at a whole, that's the uh, South Korea game, is that they are... They are under strength. They had eight first-team players that didn't play, been rested, whatever. So to meet them again, um, you know, in the latter stages of the of the Asian Cup, it could be a very, very different story. You just can't hang the hat on, oh, it's a one-all draw because they were under strength. You know, you've got guys like Sun, Sun Hu Ming who has to come back yeah. into that side. You know, who apparently won't be a, a part yes. of South Korea until the knockout stage. Yeah, no, it's a very, very interesting first deal. two games she's missing. He's available for the third game of yeah. the for the group stage against China. That's the deal they did because of the the Asian games they played in to avoid the, the military, military service. service, which was obviously massively important. So they that's the deal they did with the club. So 
Yeah. Yeah, and so I, I think, but I think as as a whole, but I think that performance you put in isolation. Look, I think it's a very very encouraging performance. You know, again. I think I think the fans I think will be a lot happier with you know even if they they lose some games mm-hmm. if they play that attacking sort of taking a prisoner style I think they'll be a lot more satisfied than sitting back playing on the can and still getting beat. If they have that attacking style they shouldn't lose to too many teams in no, Asia. Anyway. That should be Asia. attacking blueprint which puts them in the top four at the Asian Cup yep. at a minimum and then see what happens from there. Yeah, absolutely. Now one player who did have a rough night was Robbie Cruz and mm. at some point. This really has... It really did cross a line for me. Like, some of the heckling and stuff of Robbie Cruz. It started in the warm-up. Yeah? It started in the warm-up with people sitting around me, having a go at him, not showing the, enough intensity in the warm-up. And I'll say his warm-up was no different to any other player. So if his warm-up was lacking intensity, so was the whole Socceroos team. And if they were lacking intensity, they certainly didn't show it in the first 20 minutes when they were absolutely superb. So I think the, look, the Cruz hate almost has just gone off the scale. It started at the World Cup because people wanted to see Arzani playing, and now it's just... He's, I know he's not the most likeable player because of some of the things he's done, but he's not that bad a player, and he's still, certainly got plenty to offer still. I've got, I've got no problems with the criticism of Robbie Cruz. If he does something wrong, he's not yeah. performing. But to go in with a mindset yeah. of heckling him in the warm-ups... Mm. That's pre, it's premeditated, and that's that's it's quite disgraceful. You know, I know there might be club allegiance, but this is the national team. Yeah. You know, you may not like all the selections, all that, but you know, I just think, yeah, he, he deserves better than that. Yeah. I think, you know, as I said, no problems if he's struggling, he's not putting in, he's he's making mistakes. Then by all means, go nuts. Yeah. But the fact that you've got the you got these so-called fans going in and heckling him in the warm-up. Yeah. To me, it's the, they're going in that mindset. Oh, no matter what, it doesn't matter what Robbie Cruz does. We're we're gonna we're gonna heckle him. We're gonna, you know. And it's just it's not like we saw, we saw it with Lucas Neal as well. And it's, it's like if yeah. he's playing for a rival club, I've got no problem. But when they play for the Socceroos, unless they do something to deserve it, and they're not playing well, not then then it's overseas. But to go into that game with a mindset to you know to abuse and heckle, I just yeah, it doesn't sit well with me. The Lucas one's interesting because he obviously did give, give the Royal Salute to some fans as well, and then he got heckled big time in his last that, game in Australia. See, that in, he deserved. That was his last game in Australia on his old home ground, Sydney Football Stadium. Well. And this was Robbie Cruz's home game as well at Suncorp. We don't know how many more times he's going to get the opportunity to play us home national team game in in Brisbane. Because Will he be around in 2024? Exactly. We don't know when the next time they're going to be yeah. here and all the rest of it. So it was a, it's a terrible shame, but it is. All right, so. Um, Quick, in, a, in a quick sentence, can you sum up what your thoughts were on the career performance? Career were... Um, look, it's hard to judge them because we talked about so many players who were unavailable, but they certainly tried to play it from the back a lot. They took the Ange Postacoglu method of playing it to the back to the next level with the two central defenders split at goal. Kicks. The first time I passed the ball, I said, please do that every single time because you're going to get done on it. They stopped. But they liked to play the ball out from the back a lot, and their goal was actually quite well done because they drew the, drew um this is the raw then drew the Socceroos forward and played the ball over the top which worked really well for them because they had a couple of opportunities on that that in the first half that wasn't the first time they tried that tactic and it worked really well for them they caught Sainsbury and um, Risden out of position slightly so it, they weren't they were highly competitive and they showed enough that when they get their senior senior players back that they'll be more competitive at the Asian Cup. That is a very long sentence. Yeah, <laughs> you didn't say short sentence. You said a sentence. <laughs> uh, I will keep it one sentence. I think Paolo Bento will be pretty satisfied going to going to Asia Cup uh, with that 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 sort of you know that depth. I think he's got and he's got players to come in. So I think they they'll be looking at you know going very deep. And I'll just leave it as considering it was against what is seen to be a fellow Asian powerhouse team. Like a draw away in a friendly, they've got to be pretty happy with that. Yeah. Now, the one other point that we did uh, should probably talk about is a fan favourite in Brisbane, Jamie McLaren. Yes, he did play apparently. Yes. He, um, well, he was on the field. Yes, mm. he didn't get much service, did he? It was again another game where McLaren was started but didn't get much service. Unfortunately, he had the yeah. one chance which was ruled offside, but outside of that, he didn't really get many opportunities in the game, which is a shame. But it was good to see him get an opportunity. Yeah, and he'll get more chances as they come along, and. Yeah, it's just going to have to take a little bit of time. Just worried he's heading down the path of Scott McDonald. Hmm. He just has to, he just has to dig deep, keep the head down. You know, the opportunities will come. You know, obviously he's not going to. He may not face a formidable sort of back, you know, backline like South Korea. So you know what? It's, it's he's got. But when the opportunities come, he's got to take those opportunities, yeah. and that's the most important thing. 
but he does. He, I think first and foremost, he does need a manager that is going to give him a bit of a chance. Hmm. All right, now we're going to get Graham Arnold's thoughts overall on the, that performance, and then we'll move on to the Lebanon game. Um, I think we got what we deserved. I thought our performance was. Uh, I only can, you know, in the short time that I've been obviously in, uh, in charge, the only thing I can judge is the performance of what we've trained, and you know we've trained, you know, a lot on possession with the ball and uh, rotations and the attacking intent and I think the stats read something like 24 shots to 3 or something I might be wrong but that's what I believe Um, so overall the intent that the players had to perform or the way they played was outstanding. The attitude again was what I expect. I expect that attitude I expect that commitment and that work rate and you know, as I said, our, <clears throat> the principles that we worked on, our, I thought our pressing was great. I thought that, you know, we uh, we made them turn over possession a lot. We were, you know, a few times, we were just a, they just barely got their toe to it, otherwise we were through. And, you know, I've got a, a dressing room in there that uh, is proud of the performance, um, and I'm very proud of them as well. But there is so much improvement in this team. And we will continue to work on that and uh, go forward. And the Socceroos had a chance to work on that. On It was only last night. Yeah. It feels like a lot longer so ago. Before we move on, to the outside, it was great to see him back in Brisbane as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right, so moving on. Last night, it was a Tim Cahill farewell special, and there was also a football match against Lebanon. Yeah, that's about sums it up, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Socceroos 3, Lebanon 0. We... We saw quite a lot of stuff to be excited about there. Awa Mabil, who came on and played a big role mm-hmm. off the bench in Brisbane, got a start along with the Susan... No, sorry, Danny, <laughs> Brian, Char- Martin Boyle. That's yeah. it. They're going to make that everyone in the next games. Those <laughs> other ones, yeah. Yeah, that's it. See if we can get Charles Boyle off Brooklyn Nine-Nine. <laughs> Why not? Why not? All right, so we'll, get, we'll touch on Boyle quite a bit as this goes along, but... God, it was good seeing him there. Like, there was a lot to be excited about, especially with that first goal he had. Yeah, he was... Look, I'm affectionately calling him the Scottish ringing, but he was absolutely <laughs> fantastic for Australia. Not just in the um, the um, game last time, but he was good at Suncorp as well. He was, but he, look, he's added a lot, because a lot of the soccer is wide attackers like to cut inside, and Boyle will do that as well, but he also gets gets wide and puts crosses in, which is a really good variation. I mean, you've got people like Juric in the box. That's a very good variation which can work. So I think he's... Added a heck of a lot to the side in a very short period of time. Tom Urich is actually probably the player that could benefit the most from the inclusion of Martin Boyle because, as we've said for two and a half seasons now, or something like that, yeah. heading the ball is not Jamie McLaren's strength. But with the size of Urich and Apogiano, yeah. that's probably the way that they're going to be yeah. best served. Look, I think um, Martin Boyle might be the missing link. You know, I'm not saying we're going to win a yeah. World Cup or anything, but as far as improving the soccer rules and making us competitive again, um, I think Martin Ball, he shows a sign. I know it's kind of too carried away. It's only game two in his career. And against, you know, obviously you want to see him performing as tougher opponents, yeah. but all the tools are there that, you know, that this, this game, this game play style of Graham Arnold is going to suit him. And, you know, and you know what? He took his opportunity, yeah. which is something that Socceroos attackers mm-hmm. seem to be lacking in probably the last, you know, six to 12 months. You mentioned Urich would love that sort of service. That guy who retired last night would have absolutely beg to have that sort of service the last four or five years, wouldn't he? Well, maybe if he had have gone to Scotland instead of the Indian superannuation league. <laughs> well. Yeah, but look, we'll touch on Cahill now, because yeah. let's face it, last night was pretty much all yeah. about Cahill. Um, we'll start off with memories of him. A lot of people talk about the goals he scored against Netherlands, but to me, it's the goals he scored in the really, really big qualifiers that I remember the most. Does a lot of World Cup qualifiers of soccer who's played that were in the balance, shall we say. And he, it was Cahill who scored the goals. I mean, the best examples at the Asian Cup as well here in Brisbane. That quarterfinal was on a knife edge at half time. It was a hot night. It was humid. You were overseas. Yeah, but I was, was freezing my butt yeah, off. Yeah, it, it was the total opposite of that. I can tell you, it was very hot and humid. Actually, and, it might have been Mexico. And China were highly competitive in that game. And it was two goals from Timmy Cahill, which changed that game. And that's what sums up Tim Cahill more than anything. The big goals and the big moments. I have watched it since then. And yeah. you're absolutely right. Like just having the audacity to do the bicycle kick and go, no, nah, we needed that. We yeah. need that spark. Yeah. Uh, for me, Kaiser Slout in 2006 yeah. against Japan, that the, the legend, as far as the Socceroos as a whole began there. He doesn't, he doesn't score those goals. 
you know yeah. what? There's no golden generation. There's no, yeah, there's, you know, we probably, we probably go out in, in three, basically. Um, so for me, the, the, the goals he scored um, against Japan, they're there for me. They're, they're the top ones. But, Honorable mention to the the, Netherlands, yeah. the goal against the Netherlands in Brazil. That was you know, yeah, that was that ridiculous. Of his World else. Cup goals, on with Adam, the two at Kaiserslautern were far more significant than the one in and in um, Belo Horizonte against um, Netherlands. I'll just go with three very quick uh, goals here. Obviously, the one starting off with the one in the Netherlands. I remember sitting in my bed at home watching that and swearing my head off, going, <laughs> "No way, no way." <laughs> With a few other not so <laughs> broadcastable get words the bu- in there. Get that curse button ready. <laughs> it, you get the Angela button? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, get the... Like, that made me lose it. Just mm. doing that. Then there was also, obviously, playing 120 minutes against Syria in yep. a game that we were all incredibly frustrated with at the time. That's another great example of what Tim yep. Cahill meant on national team. Delivering in big moments. And he looked out on his feet at times yeah. in that game, and he still came up with the two goals that got Australia to the playoff against Honduras. And let's be honest, we all probably expected him to score against Honduras, <laughs> but we didn't need him to. And then finally, this is a really obscure one, probably in the context of things, but 2009, there was a World Cup qualifier against Japan at the MCG, and there were two oh, balls that were just lofted yep. up to him. I mean, it was a freezing night in Melbourne. Yeah. Like it was, yeah. Single digit or something, which you know doesn't happen in mm. Brisbane, and he just climbed up two big headers, and that was enough to get Australia over the line. I think I think the uh, I, I people that were actually were glad to see the back of him are, are Samurai Blue supporters <laughs> because <laughs> and he was yeah, yeah well. and um, because yeah, like I said, he was he was like Godzilla against Japan. You know, yeah, the amount of times you know starting with Kaiserslautern, I remember the MCG. You know. Yeah, you know, like I said, that he would, that his height, his heading skill would, you know, yeah, you know, would put put a knife to him. So, you know, like I said, you know, certainly he goes down as probably. I wouldn't. It would be the Bible where he's the greatest Socceroo, but he's certainly up there in that in that league club. Yeah. And, you know, the, the top few. My he, argument of him being the greatest Socceroo yeah. of the modern generation, at least, because let's be honest, I can't go back to the days of Johnny Warren and stuff. Yeah. That's yeah. yeah. But of the modern generation, because he. Wasn't the most talented, yep. but boy was he successful. Yep. And it, you know, this also goes yeah. to my NFL greatest yeah. player of all time argument, where you yeah. want the guy that's been the most successful, not the most talented. Uh. <laughs> As Scott outwardly cringes. No, I'm cringing at your NFL comparison, but you're absolutely right about Kale. We're going to start a. a I thought we were going to fund me on that. Yeah, exactly. You're going <laughs> to put a ban on you talking about that, but. <laughs> But no, you're right. He is he the most talented soccer ever? No, he's not. But is he the is he the greatest, most important? He probably is, given all the great moments that he's delivered. I mean, you think about it, if you take him out of that team, they probably don't qualify for, two, for at least one of the last couple of World Cups. It's on his goals alone, and, they got there. And on the counter of you know, if you're doing a list of the greatest moments since of the I suppose new football era, yeah. how many of those are Tim Cahill's? Yeah. Oh, look, and just one sort of other point I think as well is that in you know an era where players were putting club over country you now with yep. the burgeoning with the Premier League and whatnot. You now being an Everton supporter as well, the amount of you know, I guess busts of here discussions he had with David Moyes at the time for you know, for him travelling, always travelling, wanting to uh, play for the Socceroos, you know, and even putting at risk his his time at Everton for that. You know, you can never question, you know, his dedication to the Socceroos. Yes, I do remember David Moyes complaining about signing international quality players and then losing them for yeah. international games. Yeah, but David Moyes is a football genius, all right? <laughs> but he, yeah, As has been still, well, well and truly established. He still, he still loved Everton. You know, yeah, that's one thing I know. Yeah, that's it. Um, yeah, so there were two other friendlies played in Queensland this week. Uh, 0-0 draw between Uzbekistan and Lebanon on Thursday night down at Rabina. And then last night, Korea uh, 4-0 <laughs> over Uzbekistan at Cusack. No internationals for four years, and then they all come at once. Exactly. Well, we do hope that we see the Socceroos at some point in the next World Cup qualifying cycle, because, you know, the one thing I learned from this past weekend, Socceroos are still one of the few teams that I get excited about, like, every single time. Like, being in the stadium for that, and it is, I suppose, because we only see them, what, 10, 12 times a year, it is still special. Walking into the ground, it brought back a lot of really great memories of the Asian Cup final being down there for that. it was absolutely fantastic, and you're right. I mean, I cheered that goal more than probably most raw goals these days. It was absolutely fantastic, and you're right, thirty odd thousand at Suncorp. It's about the same as the crowd in Sydney. Hopefully, we do see them back. 
back. And especially with an electrical rip. storm. Yeah, hopefully we injury. see them before 2024, as you joked. Yes. No, look, in sort of with turmoil with sort of other national teams at the yep. moment, you know, it's good that the Socceroos, you know, still admired and you know and respected as you know, you know, having that, you know, no matter what your club allegiances are, that you know that you'd hopefully all unite. Um, but behind the national team, that's that's all we want. I think there is always a place for international football. All right, so we're going to close out segment one right now, and we asked Liam from Queensland Socceroos fans for his thoughts on. The debutante Martin Boyle, actually. So we're going to uh, hear that and then go to a break. You're listening to the Brisbane Football Review. G'day, Brisbane Football Review. This is Liam from the Queensland Socceroos fans. Um, thank you very much for letting us have a have a chat on your podcast uh, once again. It's always great to have the opportunity to talk to the football fraternity of, uh, of, of Brisbane. And, um, yeah... Uh, you wanted me to have a quick uh, few words about Martin Boyle, um, our Socceroo cap number 599, the Scotsman, our, our um, adopted Aussie, for, um, loves his Tim Tams apparently from more reports, but uh, can't blame him for that. Uh, yeah, made his debut uh, for the Socceroos in the second half, first career Republic, uh, on Saturday night at Lang Park. Um, I think many of us that were there that night uh, could instantly see that he made a huge difference um, in the way that, uh, that that the team played. Um, he really, really, really uh, showed great signs of you know, of uh, rushing forward for the goals. You know, he was really quick to get to the loose balls. Um, he uh, he was busy in the box. Uh, he was uh, he was trying to outwit the defenders. Um, and even when he uh, did want to uh, venture outside the box, he certainly uh, had some um, some great skill sets there with his with his direct um, passing and. Um, I think that's something that we really, really have missed um, in the forward area of the Socceroos in the past. Um, you know, I think uh, we're used to seeing the wing backs running backwards and forwards. You know, the Brad Smith crosses or the or the um, uh, Robbie Cruz uh, crosses and or falls. And I think really, really think that this is now probably the end for Robbie Cruz. Um, I think Sydney. We saw Boyle, Mabil, Amini, and Bearhitch. I mean, they were, had some great combination play there, and I think there's a lot. I think there'd be, a, I think some of those older players, um, maybe even probably Tommy Urich, would probably be looking out over their shoulders right now because um, the future's really, really coming forward now. We've got the next generation of players coming through, and I think it's, um, I think it's time for these guys to shine. Um, we really need, as a nation, to be moving forward with our football and. Um, getting some great results instead of just you know just um, you know, fighting you know, at, you know, to get results. I think we really need to start winning these games by two goals, three goals, four goals. Um, we can't be um, scrapping around anymore. I think Australia fans really want to see some great results. They really want to see goals, um, and I think that um, the future is before us now. It was uh, uh, that Sydney game where you had Mabil and Amini and Bearhitch and Boyle all playing together. The great combination play there. There was a few little, um, few little scrappy bits, but there was intent. You know, there was intent for there to be some combination play. There was intent to try a few things. There was intent to get goals, even if they flew over the top of the goal, uh, over the crossbar. You know, it's just it's so good to see. You know, and I think that um, straight away that. Uh, that influence uh, that boy will have uh, on everyone else. I think everyone else will bounce off of him. You know, they will take him, they'll look at him and use him as an example of, okay, this is what we need to do. Um, I really don't think that um, that, that has, uh, in this last generation of players, really um, uh, shown. I don't think there's been anyone there uh, that uh, they could show the way like that. Um, we were so used to crosses and headers and, and everything. So um, seeing Martin Ball come on and, apply his trade of um, of real gritty grafting football, I think it's going to be um, great. And we've got a good future for the Socceroos, especially with the Asian Cup coming up. With the retirement of Yedinak and Cahill, many of us will work wondering, you know, where, what now? How are we going to go in the Asian Cup without our two leading goal scorers? You know, where where's, where are the goals going to come from? Um, but I think our, I think uh, it's, our prayers have been answered with Boyle and Mabil and Amini. And um, I think we're in for a great future and a great Asian Cup. And I honestly think that, that our defence of the Asian Cup now 
um, is um, a lot more sold than it was probably a few weeks ago now that we've seen our Scottish Aussie uh, ply his trade on Australian soil. Anyway, lads, thank you very much for the opportunity. Have a good evening, and I will talk to you uh, some other time. Bye, lads. You're listening to the Brisbane Football Review. We'll be back after this. And welcome back to the Brisbane Football Review. It's our international break review special, I suppose. And if I'm learning anything from segment one, it really should be that we there shouldn't be too many Socceroos games because they really do make us ramble on. International break's over now. Back to Clubland. Yes, and let's start with Sunday's W League game between the Roar and Adelaide United at Lions Stadium. It was a 51st-minute goal from Veronica Latsko in front of 1,286 people at Lions Stadium at Richlands. And, well, Scott, we'll go straight yep. to you. What, okay. were your, what was your big takeaway from the afternoon? Um, it was interesting because it was the first time that Yuki Nagasato played for the Roar, and you could see the 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 way they wanted to combine in the front. Though. There were a lot of promising moments. I think Adam said, we were sitting up there watching after about 20 minutes, and it looks really, really good, and it did. They just didn't capitalise on the chance they created. As I, simple as that. They've had plenty of opportunities, didn't capitalise on them. It, yeah, well, I was watching what I could off the stream while I was at work, but yeah, it was an interesting sort of game the way it unfolded, where it, it seemed like Adelaide were really trying to slow the game down as well. Yeah, look, I think they came in with a game plan, and you know, good, good on them for, for that. Um, look, it was one of those ones where you could see the building blocks there, you can see the makings of a fluid, you know, sort of, you know, game plan, but it was a very frustrating game as well because basically if you if you, like the Adelaide defence they and I and we said in the post game show that you know they they were excellent in disrupting yeah. the raw. I thought the keeper Sarah Wilsey she was fantastic. Um you can see that but you see something's building but it's one thing to be to to be creating chances, but you've got to take your chances. Absolutely. Well uh speaking of the goalkeeper for Adelaide Willisey, this is what their coach Ivan Karlovich had to say about her. Yeah, look, Sarah's a fantastic keeper. I think people underestimate her because of her height. But she's probably one of the best keepers going around in the country. And look, score one for the short people with that. Yeah, I, yeah. I knew you'd be supportive of short people. <laughs> hey, I played goalkeeper too, and I can almost reach the crossbar. Oh, there you go. you got an idol now. <laughs> There's something in common with Sarah Willis. She could almost reach the crossbar as well. It didn't hinder her, though. She was absolutely brilliant. And the thing about it is when... um. Twelve months ago, when they came here, um, they had a young goalkeeper, Eliza Campbell, who had a great game, and it probably propelled her into the national team at that point. I'm not saying Sarah Willis is going to do that, but when Eliza Campbell left for Perth, I know I thought it was a big loss for them, and they'd really struggled to replace her. But Sarah Willis was fantastic on on Sunday afternoon, and it looks like they've replaced her really well. So, is there any concern the Raw maybe couldn't take it, the, their chances here? Oh, look, this is really interesting because there was it was a big debate in the in the press conference about chances. Do they create enough chances? And they do because Katrina Gorey has created 11 in the first three weeks, which is the second most. They had four, they've had they had 48 shots in the first three weeks, which is the third most, but they have a conversion rate of 5.6%, which is the equal worst outside of the Wanderers who haven't scored a goal yet. So they certainly create chances, as Mel talks about in her press conference, we'll get to, but they create chances. They have not found a way to consistently put them away yet. But for me, that just seems like it's going to come down to combinations, timing, and yeah. it is one of the unenviable parts of being a W League coach, where what well, you have players showing up for the first time a week ago. Yeah. This, this is the this is the, the problem at the moment. I guess it's a good problem to have once they get it all together. But it's three different attacking combinations in, in three games, and that's and that's if you throw in a, an international break between that. Um, so it's just it's just continuity at the moment. I think once uh, Mel Andriata settles on a stable front three. Um, I think you... And then, you know, sort of then the midfield behind that. I think then you're going to start seeing it together. But, um, yeah, look, it's been a very disrupted start, but there's you know, still some chances that they need taken. It's in, it's a bit of a red flag when your left-back is your leading goal scorer at the moment. Score, has scored all the goals at the moment. That's true. scored all the goals, but they're creating enough chances. I would be more concerned if they weren't creating chances. That's the one thing that I suppose I would say in defence of this raw side is... But they, one thing they don't lack is creativity, and I think it's just a case of the more time they get together, the more chances they're going to create. And look, the goals will come. Like they're not going to spend the whole season having. In ice hockey, they call it puck luck, but yeah. I suppose in football, it's just luck of the bounce. 
Yeah, look, um, my, my concern, and again, I, I touched on the, on the post-game show on Sunday. Which you can the... listen to on our Facebook page, by the way. Scott and Adam do a very good job getting that up and no, running. Thanks for the flag. Thank <laughs> and the good host over here. Oh, um, I mean, it's missing uh, me. No, I'm pointing it. That's a bit Scott much. Here. Good host, that's a bit of a stretch. I'll go <laughs> adequate. <but> uh, <laughs> anyway, enough self-gratification. I'll start um, preparing my I... resume. <laughs> <laughs> well, so yeah, about... Um, yeah, about what I said on the post game show is the worry would be that you know they they are starting to run out of time already. Like so it's not when it's unlike the A League side where you know you've got you've got twenty seven games. This season is a very truncated season, and the worry is that if they don't start putting it together, this season's going to get away from them. So hopefully, whatever they need to do to get their you know get their scoring form in, they've got to do it quick. Yeah, I they, think it's got to start in two weeks' time in Newcastle. It certainly has. I know they they dropped points in two home games last season. So they've lost two games at home. They have two games this year. They've lost one and drawn one. So the the margin for error in comparison to last season, points wise, is shrinking fast. But I think it's a tougher schedule for the Roar as yeah, well this year. It is. It is. But look, there's still. Pl- I would say there's plenty of games to go. Like I'm obviously yeah. it's not you know 27 rounds like we've got with it's the a quarter of the season gone though. Man. Yeah, in terms but of games. We saw, we saw with Melbourne City last year and yeah. whatnot where. Maybe winning the Premiership isn't the be-all, end-all when it comes to claiming that grand final. Where, say, just looking quickly, like we don't see them fully click into gear until the 19th of January against um, Sydney FC at Lions. Could you like? I could still see them finding a way to stick with the top four because they're equal on points yeah. with fourth and third place. Catch fire in the yeah. finals, and then they're the best team in the competition. Well, Sydney FC is a good point because they started very, very slowly last year and nearly ran the raw down in the mm. Premier's plate and then obviously hosted the grand final and ran into to Melbourne City. So you're right, you can certainly recover. Yeah, that's if, it. They're not even that far away now either. Yeah. If they won the game on Sunday, they would have been top of the league. So Yeah, and that's why I kind of feel like right now, for the way this side is set up, it's just not necessarily... I didn't want to say survival, but yeah, obviously they haven't gotten off to the start they would have hoped. So right now it's just getting everything on track because like they've got two away games coming up against Newcastle and Sydney after their bye. Yep. And then they've got what I feel is a pretty crucial stretch when they play victory at home Sunday, 16th of December and the 20th uh, at Dolphin Stadium against the Wanderers. Yeah, those are two crucial games at home. If they're, they're, That's where they'd really want to make a run. Newcastle away is probably going to pick up three points there. Sydney away would be tough because Sydney are a very, very strong team at the best of times and this year they're even better again. So that'll be a tough game. But... If they can get three wins out of the next four and maybe pick up a point away to Sydney, they're well on their way. Yeah. That's a big ask, I accept, but this side is certainly capable of it, given on what we've seen from them. But one player that we've had our eye on, I suppose, through the MPLW season, she made a starting debut, was uh, India Page Riley. And Adam, I'm very glad you asked this question in the press conference as well. <laughs> a very rare question. Of me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, talking about uh, the impact of India Page Riley in her starting debut for the Raw Women. Oh, I thought she she grew into the game. I think early on she um, looked like a young player who probably played the game a little bit before she actually crossed the white line. <laughs> um, but then she certainly, you know, I think she settled into it. She started to get some nice touches, running across the line, getting in behind. Um, and she's one that will certainly continue to play uh, this, this year's league. All right, so that was a bit of a windy press conference there, obviously. You guys were down on the field straight afterwards, weren't you? Yes, yeah, it was down on, down on the field at halfway line. All right, Red so trip out on the field was good. Did it make you feel like a player? Yeah, it did, actually. All right, Adam, so well, you asked a question, so we'll get you to talk about what Riley did in her starting debut. Look, she was, um, look, for a young player, like, as, as Mel said in the uh, press conference, like, she did sort of seem to, early on, sort of almost overplay her hand a little bit. I know one where she actually got clear on the, um, she got cleared down the sideline, but she must have, the ball must have gone out, and she gave herself up by looking around, which, you know, the exuberance of youth. But, look, she was, she did well enough where I think, you know, that I think there's definitely a lot of problems. Like she's already, you know, a young a young Matilda. So look you wanna see you wanna see the good young players get a chance. I think and I think Melandretta is actually probably you know when to give her a chance as she said in the um in her in question to the answer the answer to the question. And Mel has shown in the past she will give young mm. players an opportunity out the Royals. Holly Palmer's playing a lot this year, players like Natalie Tate and Summer O'Brien, Abby Lloyd, etc. who got their opportunities last year. So she's shown willingness to play younger players in yeah. bring them through and actually make them important parts of the team. So I think 
India Pajali could very well be the next one of those. Yeah, and I'd say right now, with the squad the way it is, I'm happy with her as a, I suppose, impact player rather than necessarily a 90-minute starter week in, week out. I'll tell you what, she's, if, like I said, she can um, get anywhere near what she did in MPL. I know, obviously, it's a massive step yep. up, but she's a player who's got the skill to be able to you know, make an impact. So, look, I, maybe maybe she won't see too much more game time. I think you know, it's important not to overplay your hand with young players, but certainly she's, she's capable. She showed um, glimpses on, on Sunday. Absolutely. All right, so looking forward for the Raw right now. They've got a bye this week, and this is what Mel had to say about some of the stuff that they can benefit from with the week off. Friday was the first session we had as a group all together, and let's um, be honest, Haley's still not um, in the selections yet. So Friday was our first whole session, including pre-season together as a group. So there's still a lot of time in this competition for us to get those coordinations between players much better, which will help with the execution because maybe we'll be in a little bit more space and time to get a cleaner shot away. Um, and, you know, the extra two weeks, well, well without the... the without a game, having a bye, will give us the opportunity to do that without any international duty. So we're looking forward to this time ahead and um, certainly no need um, to panic. Um, we're just going to keep working hard and doing what we do, but better. So obviously Mel just saying there that no time to panic just yet. So we'll close off this little uh, portion. Starting with Adam, get your thoughts on the way that the Raw W League season started. Yeah, look, it's... Um... In a sentence. I think I think it was sentence. Um, look, it's it's been one of promise so far, but I think it's still a long way from the finished product. And I think if that finished product is hit, they'll be well in it. My fear is that it may be a little bit too late. The pieces are there in this group to achieve exactly what they want. This front third, when it clicks, I think there's plenty of potential there. It just will will it click and when will it click? Hopefully, this two weeks they've got now will be the trigger. I'm going to actually go with two words, extended preseason. Yeah. Like obviously the results haven't flowed, but when you've got players still showing up after the competitive games have started, there's still a bit of development work and development yeah. to go. So now I kind of feel like after this week, as Scott's getting distracted by the lights at the Gabba. No, fireworks. Oh well Shiny so- bright lights distract me all the time. <laughs> Good thing you weren't here for the Taylor Swift concert. <laughs> Jeez. But yeah, it's yeah, there's a lot to be encouraged about and now I think this is where the expectation needs to be turned up. They've got two weeks to work on it, and we'll see what they can do from here. All right, that's going to be it for segment two of the Brisbane Football Review. We'll be back after this to talk about the Youth League and the FFA elections. You're listening to the Brisbane Football Review. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to the Brisbane Football Review. It's James Scott and Adam here for the DFS Fan Network, and... We're up to segment three now for our post-Socceroos November International Window special something or other. And we're going to lead off segment three talking about the Youth League. So the uh, Raw's game against Melbourne City Saturday afternoon was moved to Lions Stadium at Richlands instead of being at Logan Metro Sports Complex. And the Raw managed to survive the imminent weather threat in the Thunder and Lightning derby. <laughs> thanks to a brace from Mirza Muratovic. And won two nil before the weather came in. Yeah, well, they couldn't. Melbourne City couldn't get this game abandoned because the goals were in the second half anyway, so it wouldn't have made a difference for them. But they, the Raw were really good in this game, actually. They were very strong in the front third in terms of their ability to press Melbourne City, who were struggled to say the least in playing out from the back. That's about the, that's the best way to sum the game up. City could not play out from the back as well as they have in the past, and the Raw were able to capitalize. They scored a goal from it. They could have had another couple of goals from it as well. That was the story of the game. But this does seem like a little bit of a different Melbourne City setup than what we might have seen in the past. It was a very, very young Melbourne City side. They didn't have the same star power they had in the past, which is interesting because it was international break. You would have thought that most teams would have played the um, fringe A-League players or the young, good young players, but City's best young players, Remy Nazarene, and these guys did not play, so it was very interesting. Because hmm, the Raw didn't have anyone involved either, did they? No, Leck was about the closest player you would think to being involved in the first team, and he played on the left, which was interesting as well. I should point out that the reason I'm grilling Scott on this is because Adam was otherwise indisposed, and I was <laughs> at a friend's birthday <laughs> yeah. during this yeah. game. So I do the short straw and covered this one for us. <laughs> I should just point out, Adam is in fact still here, but Scott. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, so uh, Daniel Leck, he played on the left, did he? He played on the left, here yeah, to accommodate Leighton Brooks on the right. They're both right-footers, so it's a... The way it went. And I suppose it's a good game as well, Lack, actually. I suppose it's probably putting the more experienced 
player for yeah. the youth league in a bit of an uncomfortable position because, like, he's probably the one that's close, one of the closest ones to getting into the A-League squad. Yep. Certainly from this 11 as well. And I suppose, you know, the more he can do, the more chances he has of actually coming in. Yeah, and the other player who played really well for the Roar in this game was um, Bryce Bafford. He was really, really good at controlling the play. He really, it was probably the best kind of senior play, and he's played a few good ones, but he was really good at controlling the game. Nice one-two touch stuff. He was very impressive in the middle of midfield. That's right. And up next for the Raw is round three against Adelaide, Sunday afternoon at Logan Metro Sports Complex, 3 p.m. kickoff. Now that we've actually just put this on the podcast and can't change it, wait for them to probably announce another venue change. We should say it was changed not because everyone thought conveniently moving it closer to Suncourt Stadium for people to get there, but no, it was because of um, issues. There was a um, the John Moriarty Indigenous Carnival was on at Logan the week prior and the field had not fully recovered from that, so they moved it to to um, the Lions. And considering Lions was actually good enough for the Socceroos to train on, so... Yeah. 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 Busy week out at Lions with the Socceroos there, the Youth League, and then the W League on the Sunday. Yes, and we should say well done to everybody out there for putting on what looked to be a pretty good week of football. Yeah. All right, on to the news. Now, there's only really one story that we want to touch on today. We're not going to worry about trying to get to the big three. Let's just go to hashtag FFA votes. Now, Can you explain the whole thing to me? Because I'm still lost. <laughs> i got to admit, this happened after... I was on about two and a half hours sleep after yeah. my NFL Monday yeah. with this. So, Adam, what happened? Oh, look, uh, as with, um, it's required by corporate law, they had their AGM. Um, Stephen, Stephen Lowy, the chairman, stepped down officially. And they, uh, the, con- the new Congress, I believe, voted. And we've got... Uh, was it? One, two, three, four... Seven? Six, seven. No, one, two, three, four. Four new uh, board members yep. plus a chairman. Yes. There we go. Mm-hmm. So pre-vote, there was Craig Foster, who seemed to be the uh, Twitter yep. fan's choice because he'd come out and was open and transparent about a lot of the stuff that he wanted. And look, I still, by and large, you know, dislike Foz as a TV personality, but as a football person... Like, I do think he would have done a very good job on this. Like, it seemed like he didn't have the numbers, to use a political term, to be the chairman, which was the role he wanted. And when he realised he couldn't be the chairman, he decided to withdraw. And it's, also, I should point out, the main reason I don't like him is because he openly admits to just saying stuff for the hell of it when he's on TV. Yeah. But, yeah, I think I think with um, Craig Foster, I think, by Santa, I think he played his hand a bit too early as far as... You know, he, he had an agenda out there. You know, whether you agree with it or not, he had that agenda out there. And I think... I think for him not being chairman, it would mean that he doesn't get that through. So I think it was. I think he went all in, and you know, I think it made it very, very clear that the that the large majority of the Congress members had a different opinion on who they wanted as chairman. I think it's why he withdrew. Which it's a shame, but I think I think he felt well. If he's not going to be the chairman, well, what 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 use use is there basically? I think the big winners were the A League clubs, who obviously got the board members they apparently preferred, and also the chairman. Chris Nico was their preferred candidate, so they were the big winners out of this. So, interesting to see what how that dynamic shapes up now. Yeah, well, I think Heather Reed is someone who yep. seemed like it, she was a pretty good chance of getting I, through. From I think the she outset. was the highest voted of the four. It was yeah. ninety odd percent, which is fantastic. Yeah, Joseph Carozzi and Remo Nogarotto were the other yep. ones that uh, got on. Was was Remo the last one on with yes. the Stephen Conroy thing? Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, cause that was one of the few bits I actually got the Twitter stream to work for. <laughs> and it was just, uh, it looked like Stephen Lowe was there trying to just stall for time. And then yeah. next thing you know, he hear, yes, Stephen, I resign. Okay, now what? <laughs> and yeah, that was pretty much it. The only thing that I actually would have been interested with in terms of Stephen Conroy is, obviously, he used to work as a communications minister, right? Yes. So he probably would have been... I would hope, somewhere somewhat involved with, in terms of streaming deals and whatnot. We've obviously got the My Football app now, mm. but he w- would have been interesting to see his thoughts on that and how they approach new media and also government lobbying. Yeah, I think so, but I think there's, well, um, is it Crispin Murray, I think it is? It's on the board, the one existing members. Possibly, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think, I think, uh, I mean, the, uh, sorry, my, the sort of names escaped me, um, Karen Bayo. Um, there were two. Yeah, the, 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 they, who were held yeah, over. I think they they were instrumental in um, getting the the uh, TV rights deal over line. So I, I think Stephen Conroy. I think it, like I know I I sort of backed him in last week when we spoke about. It, but I think he sort of showed that he didn't really have like I think he chose yeah you know, his TV appearances over going to to the AA, 
AFC, you know, meet the candidates thing. I think he really shows hand on that, that, you know, really, I think this would have been a part-time gig anyway. So I think at the end, you want, you want invested people in there. They're going to give, give full attention to, as much as they can, to the FFA board. But yeah, I think it was a little bit disappointing, I think, from some, from some quarters that, you know, he really didn't sort of show he was fully invested in it. Yeah. But he would have been, he would have been handy given his government connections and you know just at that at level in Canberra. The offshoot is the second football person with Freeman Ogrodo on the board as well, mm. and with her, himself and Heather Reid, two two big football people. So, and I do feel like Heather uh, Rima, I mean, is he is a little bit of an olive branch to the old soccer yep. guard as well, mm-hmm. where you know obviously a lot of the people that were involved in the NSL days and Soccer Australia do feel like they've just been completely blacklisted now so maybe this can sort of go a bit of a way to I don't want to say completely you know bridging the two eras but at least bringing something going forward the FFA Cups also help with that as well giving some of those old NSL Cups a chance to compete on the highest level and it probably also means the end of NCIP I think, I think, Remo... I think that got cut that got erased didn't it finally probably yeah but week, I just so. wanted to get that line in there yeah I think Remo Nogarotto as well I think I've shown over time I think you know you, we talk about this you know, old soccer versus new football mm. sort of you know war that's sort of waged for the last 15 or so years I think he's shown you know sort of by his at least his public statements anyway that he's he's a lot more moderate I think to, than some of the others that are really sort of you know you know it's like oh new, modern football's bad blah 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 I think he's shown that he actually can that you know he he sticks the old traditions, but actually can understand that you know what, like with everything, tradition can only take you so far, and you need to progress and evolve. And I think I think I think at the end I think it's a good choice. And look, we can't say you know oh these are good or bad appointments right now because quite frankly they haven't had yeah. enough time to do to do anything well or screw anything up. The only thing they've done so far is they made the presentation to Tim Cahill last night on the stage and they did that quite well, so they're one for one. Yeah. That's it. So you're right. They, you can't. How can you possibly judge them right now? The You've got to give them a chance to see what they're going to do and and judge them accordingly. But I Hopefully think they I, do a great job. To be honest, I think you know what. If you don't hear from these guys again, that means they're doing a good job. Because you know what, board members are not are not there to be seen seen or heard. They're there to do the job. They're there to rubber stamp. It's it's the it's the executive office. You know, David Gallup. You know, Gregor Rourke and that and that crowd. They're the ones that are out there driving policy. You know, creating initiatives, all that. The board is there to oversee them. Yeah. So if you never hear from them again in the next yeah. two or three years, then you know what? They've actually done a good Aside job. Aside from maybe yeah. a couple of public yeah. engagements or something. Yeah. Oh, Adam's yeah, right, though. Chris Nico, you do need to, you need to see him relatively... You know, cause obviously, he'll be there you know, in the big sort of you know, events and whatnot. Yeah. But I mean, the, the, the sort of the associate-level board mm-hmm. members, if you don't hear from them again you know, next, in the next two or three years, that means that they're doing a good job. Absolutely. We've heard enough from them in the last yeah. two or three years about this stuff. It's time to yep. hear about some other things in relation to the game. Yeah, absolutely. So, one thing that uh, did jump out to you especially, Scott, yep. you're the one that pointed this out to us. They were asked about uh, priorities for the board on A-League expansion, yep. and this is what Chris Nicku had to say about that. Yep. Expansion is, is very, very important. So, um, it's probably the number one priority that the new board will need to address. Uh, what I'd like to see happen is that the new board members get given a proper and detailed briefing of the merits of each of the bids. And as soon as we can get through that process, it will be the first order of business uh, for the new board. And then he was asked about how important it is to get it up and running for next season. I'd like it. I'd certainly like to see it for the following A-League season if we can. It won't be through lack of trying, but we will do a measured analysis of the bids and make a decision that we think is in the best interest of football in Australia. Um, If we can do it for next year, it will certainly be my wish that we do it. So, obviously, that's them saying, let's see if we can get expansion back on the table soon. And I'm going to put this out there right now. We're not going to spend the next 20 minutes saying, oh, maybe this team should get in, this team should get in. But at least it's put expansion back on the, I suppose, front foot. And it's no surprise, really, that expansion's been a big topic in conversations we've talked about plenty of times on here before. And there's no doubt that the A-League owners would love expansion and the new boards seem to want it as well. So, it's no surprise to me that it's coming up as their first order of business. It's... It's absolutely essential for the league. And having Heather Reid from Capital Football has got to be a big boost for Canberra as well. Yeah, look, that's, that's the thing. Is, but you want, to, you want to expect that, you know, again, that, you know, if these bids were as good as what they're saying saying they are, you'd hope that, you know what, they, they can be ready to go, you know, in, in six to nine months' time. Yeah, absolutely. And, look, we've seen them get the Wanderers up and running then, so it's not out of the question. Mm. If they were to make a decision yeah. in the very, very, very near future... 
And that was three months with the Wanderers as well, because that was like March, April, and they yeah. were playing preseason games in June, July. So yeah, that was it, a very quick turnaround. There we go. So yeah, there's a lot to be excited about, I suppose. Look, it could go well, it might not. We're just going to have to wait and see. And that's actually the exciting thing about this, I suppose. Yes, we welcome our new overlords. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. All right, we'll be back after this to preview this weekend's Brisbane Raw A-League fixture against Melbourne City. This is Brisbane Football Review. You're listening to the Brisbane Football Review. We'll be back after this. And we're back on the final segment of the Brisbane Football Review this Wednesday evening as we're watching a storm roll through over the ba- over the balcony right about now. Of course there's a storm, there's a sports game on. Yeah, there's no... It's not just football that cops this. Yeah, it's, it's, it's any international event in Brisbane yeah. as well, which makes me nervous for the next time the Wallabies are here. All right, so... <laughs> that's, that's not a contest, though. <laughs> Wallabies versus the weather. I could go for that. Now, I'll back the weather, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, apparently the All Blacks need some sort of challenge. Anyway, this is, of course, a football podcast. This Saturday, the Roar taking on Melbourne City in round four of the A-League. You sure? No, it's round five. Is it? Okay. No, it's segment four, round four. So I I see where the mistake was there. I just Ron Burgundy'd that. No, I wrote round four. You're right. Yeah. I'll throw myself under the bus. It's fine. That's it. All right, so Saturday, 6.50pm at Suncorp Stadium. Now, in segment one, we did tease a big announcement, and I can confirm that due to no demand from anyone, really, (laughs) our fan cams are going to be back for another season. So come join us this Saturday at the Wally Lewis statue after the full-time whistle. I'll be there with a microphone looking really, really uncomfortable, just hoping someone wants to come and talk to me. Yeah. Please talk to him. Please. (laughs) Because, yeah... We're, we're not going to be there. We, uh, yeah. You've got press conference to do. No, I want yes. people that are going to say interesting things. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Ooh, ouch. And hello to the Raw for listening to this. Yeah. No, I want... Oh, you're talking about us. Okay. Oh, yeah. No. yeah. That's not going to happen. We're, we're, we're always in the shadows anyway. That's so. not going to happen. Yeah, you two are always standing behind the camera just waiting for me to say something stupid. <laughs> yeah. Which is different... Which is just different than sitting on the other side. It of the happens ta- quite regularly, so let's be honest. Yes, that's it. Now, I'll run through the plugs again quickly. How you can get in contact with us if you have any comments, questions you want us to answer on the show. Uh, email brisbanefootballreview at gmail.com. Twitter at bnefootball. And Facebook is The Raw Review, which we're still trying to change after two and a bit years. One day it might actually happen. Yes, Maybe. If you, if you want to lobby Facebook, guys, that'd be really helpful. Yeah. Although I think they might have a lot on their plate after this morning. Well, that's <laughs> true. Alright, so, Raw versus City, uh, played 26, won 9, lost 12, drawn 5. At Suncorp, played 12, won 7, drawn 3, drawn 2, lost 3. Mm-hmm. That was me being unable to read. Troubling stat, though, Raw have won one of their last seven against City in all competitions. Mm-hmm. The last two competitive games, so there was the uh, FFA Cup game out at Redcliffe, which yes. was decided by Bruno Fornaroli just having a crack. Yes. Which apparently was a pre-season game anyway based on quotes that came out yesterday. so Yeah, well, that's always comforting. Mm. And then there was last week, last season's elimination yep. final, I think yep. was yes. what it was tabbed as. Yeah, and yeah. The, the game before that was the um, late in the regular season. It was a doubleheader when the Raw won the W League Premiership, and then there was the A League game afterwards, which... It was a nil-all draw from memory. Yeah. And I remember, game. yes, because that was Super Bowl weekend. They have met twice this season, though. You mentioned the FA Cup game. They also played down in Melbourne in a pre-season game behind closed doors. Which was a one-all draw. So in 90 minutes for both games, two draws. So Yeah, so that's uh, good to know. I feel like we're going to get a few more goals in this game as well, but these are two teams that I've found really hard to get a read on so far. Like, with the Roar, obviously, we know all about the slow start, but with City, we don't know which side is going to show up, Adam. Yeah, look, um, it's they've been sort of an enigma, the Melbourne City at the moment, because, uh, yeah, look, they've been really good in some parts, and, yeah, and they haven't been any good at all so it's it's a case of um it's a case of yeah we see what happens but the one worrying stat i think for the roar is i think the one, one of my two sides in the competition so far that have that have given up you know early goals in the first 15 minutes and i think that and i think it, again like a lot of games this season so far it could be a case of the first 15 20 minutes could decide the fate of this game because you know if, if raw go behind early as they have sort of you know a number of times they may find it hard to, to get back into this. And City did start very fast against Wellington Phoenix two weeks ago as well. So, Although that was a big response on the back of a poor performance at home, so whether they bring that form with them away is a whole other matter. 
That's it. Look, I don't know. I don't know what John Aloisi tends to say to his side pre-game, but if he has to play that Russell Crowe speech from Gladiator, you know, <laughs> I will have my vengeance in this life or the next to get them up for this. Do it. Like, I want to see them coming out ready to fire. It's been. He's. They've had two weeks to iron out the kinks in the attacking attacking stuff, and it's it was starting to click anyway. So I would hope we're going to see a more fluid and improved performance here from the Raw. Absolutely. Look, that. I think that's actually one big positive that we've got as well is they haven't actually they haven't actually had anyone go away over the international break either. No, they were all. That Matt Mackay did the uh, cap presentation in Brisbane, yep. but that was literally the only Socceroos' well, involvement. The Socceroos were in Brisbane, so there was no one travelling away. I think John Ellis was on the Fox panel, wasn't he as well? So he was. Yeah. For the game up here, so yeah, they've been in Brisbane pretty much the whole time, so they've had plenty of time to prepare for this game. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So. Uh, yeah, I think it just comes down to how the rule can start. I, mean, yeah. I, I, I know it's probably overly simplified, but... Well, they've started poorly in all four games so far, so... Yeah. And if they fall behind, that's... You can actually also probably see the crowd starting to turn on it as well. Mm. Look, and also as well, what, what's also worrying, that as as was uh, with Perth, as was with Wellington, um, Melbourne City do deploy the three at the back. So through the back and the two wing backs of you know marauding down the wings. So I think it's a similar it's a similar thing. You would hope this break they would have done some video on how to actually counter you know yeah. this three at the back because you know if the first two games or anything to go by, Raw may struggle to even you know to crowd through to break down that you know three at the back. And so it's three very very good defenders you know in there, and you got you know a Richard Delat you know, marauding down mm-hmm. down the wing. That may be. Um, that could be the game right there be decided it's how they how they contained that and uh, I I'm guessing will be Scott Jamson down the other wing. Yeah, you would say so. Is this must win? Yes. I would have thought so as well. I think it's round five, I mean you've talked about in the past, teams aren't starting to get away, but Perth is getting away. And so is Sydney. Teams are starting to drift away. I think it's I think this is a must win game. I don't think even in terms of chasing down Perth or Sydney, I just think in terms of the season, like yeah. you look at what they've got coming up, they've got a trip to Adelaide who have been after they've got a trip to Adelaide, who have been quite strong as well, then I'm pretty sure they've got some other tough games coming up after I think that. Yeah, victories the next home game after City. So on the, fo- I thought that well, there might be one in between. I can't remember. They've got a couple. Yeah, either way, they've yeah. got tough games coming up, and all of a sudden you're starting to look at it and think, "Geez, so he's really going to start mm-hmm. to get turned up on." Yeah. Not just John Aloisi, but a lot of the players in the squad as well. Who a bit of team generally, I think as well. Yeah. I think if if you don't start winning soon, I think a lot of the goodwill and you know good things are going on off the pitch recruiting, you know just the general sort of vibe of the club. I think you're going to lose it because at the end of the day, it's one thing it's one thing to have you know an uninterrupted preseason, unlike previous preseasons. But at the end of the day, it also comes down to what happens on the pitch. And the sad reality is, it's three points in four games. A loss, a loss, you know, on Saturday night. All of a sudden, three and five, and yeah. I'll tell you, you know, John Alwissi's, you know, the heat will be on him whether, you know, he should still be in a job. I think whether whether we like it or not, you know, I think that's the reality is that, you know, he will be under pressure. Yeah, absolutely. And look, that's only natural. It's, yeah. you know, I'm going to go back to my old cliche. It's a results-driven industry, yep. and right now they need results. The one positive he's got going for him was Melbourne City at home. It was round seven last year they got their first win. They're playing him at home round five. You'll be hoping for a bit of repeated history there. And also, I think uh, the Raw had on their Facebook page a grab from Thomas Christensen talking about how they want to turn Suncorp Stadium back into the fortress it you know, once was. And yeah. this is a perfect chance to do that, where they have been able to put, produce some good results against City slash Hart at Suncorp, yeah. where, what, seven wins from 12. I don't see why you couldn't count on them to not make it eight here. You would hope they're going to make it eight. I mean, they are unbeaten at home this year as well. That's worth pointing out. So Yeah. Yeah. And it really just comes down to the quality of chances. And look, they do have players like of the likes of Eric Bortiak. And if he does start, Stefan Moore could be one of those players that says, no, I, I want to have a big game against my former club. Yeah, look, I think it's, it's always going to be a... Um in fact, I think I think Stephen Mork, I think he's um, almost proved himself as you know almost you know a 
key part of this side. And I think they, they really missed him against um, yeah. Perth and, and Wanderers. Mm. So, look, I think, again, I think overall across mm. the board, I think there needs to be a raise in sort of intensity and sort of just performance from... I don't think you can you can pick out you know, a single player and say, oh, they're not, not performing. I think it's just, it just they need to lift, lift a bit because I think... Yeah, it's um, it seems to be a little bit lacking. I think they're, they're maybe they're still trying to gel together, but and this is where you would hope having the week off together lets them come in and do what they yeah. need to do. And also, I would say a- another key figure in all of this, Matt Mackay. Like he had a pretty, pretty, well, I'd say, a pretty damn good game yeah. against the Wanderers in Mudgee. Yeah. And but if Mork's back, he's probably going to be relegated to the bench, right? Yeah, but even then, so. like as club captain, that's also where you would expect him to. I don't know, just find a way, you know, using the leadership skills that we all know that he has to, I suppose, you uh, rally the team together. Yeah, you would, that's absolutely well. That's what you should be doing in this two weeks off here now to really rally the troops and get yourself ready for what is going to be a really important stretch for the all four or five games here. It will make or break the season. And remember, really will. And remember last year as well, Avram Papadopoulos did score a double against these guys. He so. did. Just wondering if there'll be any other changes to the side. If Mork's fit, you would assume he's going to play, but... Not sure any, too many others. I wouldn't be against a change in the central defensive pairing. I would love to see Daniel Bowles or Luke Devere come in and get a start. I think it'd be Bowles over Devere, just based purely on who's been in the squads this year. But entirely it's possible. But has Jacob Pepper really done that? You no, know, that bad not to keep his place. And also, well, I don't know. Just form not, has to be rewarded. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know. I just kind of feel like they need to do something to change it up, and that could be. Just that little bit of a shake-up they need. The other question also would be, though, Jack Hingham. We saw him leave with injury last time, so do you go attacking with Dane Ingham or defensive with Daniel Bowles? It's been two weeks since then. I'm pretty sure that minor knock for Jack should be recovered. But if not, you'd go with the natural fullback at home, right? So it should be Dane Ingham. Well, until until we get the squads, which will be tomorrow, so by yeah. the time a lot of people are listening to this... Thursday, we'll have to be... for people wondering what day that actually is. Yes, we, do, <laughs> we record Wednesday night most of the time. Anyway, I'm going to... So, obviously, we're not doing predictions this year, but I do want to close off with this question with a quick answer, Scott. Okay. And talk about... How quick of an answer? How many goals are the Raw going to need to score to win this? Two. Adam? Two. I'm going three. I think both teams are going to find a way to get on the board in the first half, and then three is going to be the safe number for me. Okay. All right. So, um, before we go... Can I get three? Yes. Okay. Look at Adam Taggart. He's a very. He's still a good striker. Bortiak yeah. can produce a moment of, I would say, magic. And yeah, that's it for me. So, <laughs> bef- so before we wrap up, I do want to give a quick plug to Queensland Socceroos fans. Obviously, you've heard Alex on this show as well, and you heard Liam earlier on. Yeah, those guys do phenomenal work. So check them out on Facebook, Queensland yeah. Socceroos fans. They're... A lot of lobbying on yeah. social media to get what we had last week. So. And I would say that is a very worthy cause to get yeah. behind for all football fans. And yeah, check them out. They do excellent work and, you, you know, they, I'm, I'm they sure love the national team. I'm sure, you know, with Asian Cup coming up, I'm sure they'll have um, some some live, you know, live side events, you know, surrounding that. So I think it'd be a good time to, to check it out. And That's uh, right. We had them both on before the France game for that live show we did. Oh, we did. Can't yeah, show how much I remember from that. I remember watching that on my couch with pepped up on painkillers. Yeah. Of cold and flu tablets. Yeah, we're, 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 at, about... we're at the pick and whistle for one of our live shows. Yeah, that's right. We were crammed into a corner like everybody else because <laughs> that was a very big <laughs> night. Anyway, before we get off on another tangent, I think we're going to wrap it up. So, Scott, Adam, thank you. Yeah, good to see you again, James, Adam. Good. See you at the weekend. Yep, that's it. Uh, we'll be back a little bit early next week because I'm going away for an away weekend. So, yeah, we're going to be back next Tuesday but in the meantime get out and enjoy the football this weekend you've got a couple of games in Brisbane to get to thanks everyone for listening and we'll be back next week